Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 this morning is where, is where we are going to be. How does God want me to treat all people? This morning's passage helps you and I understand that. It, it helps you and I understand just how God desires to, for us to treat all people, but it also helps us understand why God wants us to treat all people a certain way. This is a very familiar story to, to many of us. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So with that, let's go ahead Let's start reading, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is teaching perhaps a crowd of people and in the midst of this crowd, there's a lawyer present. Now the lawyer is represented as a a man who, who knows the law. He's well respected in the community. He's considered to be a religious leader. And because he's well respected, he also gives respect as well. So in the middle of Jesus' teaching, he stands up. He has a question. He stands up. There's something gnawing at him. He has, from what Jesus is teaching, he has something, he has a question that he just needs the answer for. And because he's well-respected, he stands up and he calls Jesus teacher. It's a, it's a title of respect. He understands that Jesus is one who speaks with, of, of authority. And he asks Jesus, Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the question he is asking is one of, how do I get into the kingdom? What do I have to do in order to enter into this kingdom? And because he's well-respected, and because he's a religious leader, Jesus responds to him and says, what's written in the law, and how do you read it? Basically, what Jesus is telling him is, you know what's written, you know what the law says, How do you interpret the law? And he knows, this lawyer knows exactly how to answer that question. He's been trained to answer that question. He has rehearsed his answer. And so he responds to Jesus by quoting two passages. He quotes Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and says, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with everything about us. But also, not only are we supposed to love God, we're also supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Basically, he summarized the entire law into this phrase. We're supposed to love God, and we're supposed to love others. And if we do that, that is, that's the fulfillment, that's us keeping the law. Jesus responds to him, well done, great job. You've understood correctly, do this, and you will live. Now, what Jesus is not advocating here, Jesus is not advocating that we 
we inherit eternal life, we inherit salvation, we are able to enter into the kingdom based on what we do. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. He's not saying if you do this perfectly, you'll be able to enter into the kingdom. No, we all enter into the kingdom of God the same way. It's by faith in God. But what Jesus is teaching this lawyer here is that, yes, he understands the law, but he, he, he also misunderstands it as well. We don't inherit the kingdom of God based on what we do. Instead, what Jesus is pointing out here is one who keeps these two passages, one who faithfully lives out these two passages of the scripture, that's the evidence, that's the evidence that they have been saved by God. One who loves God and loves others with all their being, that is the evidence or that's the fruit of one that has been changed and has been saved by God. That's what Jesus responds to him. He says, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. That's the message that Jesus is trying to teach this lawyer here. But it doesn't really set well with the lawyer. He understands what Jesus is telling him, but his response isn't satisfied enough. He has an agenda to fulfill. Look at verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down to that road, and when he saw him, that's important, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Again, Jesus' answer to this lawyer wasn't satisfactory enough for him. He, he still has this, this question in some ways, unanswered for him. So he tries to justify himself. He hears what Jesus is saying, but he's trying to bring justification. He's trying to make right for himself. And so he says, okay then, who is my neighbor? Now the reason he's asking this question is because Jews, their, their center for their people was in Jerusalem. But not only were Jews living there, they were, under the impression, they were under the oppression and the control of the Roman Empire. So while they rubbed shoulders with Jews every single day, they also rubbed shoulders with Romans. They rubbed shoulders with the people who were in control over them. To a Jew, their neighbor was restricted only to their people group. It wasn't considered to be an extension to every person around them. So this guy, this lawyer, he's, simply, he's only looking for a list Okay, Jesus, I understand, love your neighbor, love God, all of that, but who's my neighbor? In other words, just give me a list of people that I have to love and what I have to do. Just give me a list. He doesn't consider all the people around him to be his neighbor. So he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that's where Jesus tells him a very familiar story, to us at least. He tells him the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan. And so he says again, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the distance between these, two, between these two towns, between these two cities, was about 18 miles. So it's quite a bit of a travel. It consisted of a lot of rocky terrain. Um, it was very hilly, very mountainous. Um, it was a very dangerous road as well. So, so dangerous that it was a prime opportunity for robbers to hide in the, in the terrain of the land and take advantage of lonely travelers. So this guy, he's traveling along the road, he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he stumbles upon these robbers. 
They beat him, they take advantage of him, they strip him of everything that he has, and he's left on the road half dead. That's a strange term, half dead. You're either fully dead or not dead. But what basically what Jesus is telling him here is that he was almost dead. He's been beaten so bad, he's been, he's been stripped of everything that he owns in such a way that he is left half dead. He's almost dead. He's on the verge of dying. And just by happenstance, by chance, a priest was coming by. Now, a priest during this time would be considered, um, in today's world, equal to, uh, to, to a lead pastor. He's one who is in charge and leads in the, in, the, in the synagogue and in the temple. He's one that represents a lead pastor. And so this priest is coming down. We don't know the reason why he's traveling, but he's coming down the road. And as he's coming down the road, he sees something lying on the side of the road. As he gets closer, he realizes it's a person. And so him being a priest, he has this internal dialogue. What should I do? Should I help this guy or should I not? I'm busy. I've got, to, I've got a place to be. I've got to get to the temple. I've got to make sacrifice for people. Do I stop what I'm doing? Do I help this guy out? And he wrestles with the question for a little bit, and he makes his decision. After seeing him, what does he do? He passes by on the other side. Here's what he's just done. He passes by on the other side. Perhaps the reason he's done that is because being a priest, he knows that the law says that whoever touches the, the, the body of a dead person will be unclean for seven days. He knows that. He knows, that's, he knows that's part of the law. And he knows that if he helps this guy out being half dead, he knows if he helps this guy out, then he himself will be unclean and he won't be able to help all these other people to help make sacrifices for them. He won't be able to serve others. In many ways, he's used his religion as a reason or a justification not to help a fellow human being in need. This is, this is absurd. This is crazy. This is a priest. He's God's chosen man. If anybody was to help a, a guy out who's in need, who is is left for dead, who has been stripped of nothing, it's a priest. But he's justified himself, and he's passed by on the other side. He's avoided this man. So the man is still left laying where he is. He's still lying half dead on the side of the road. The man half dead is still in need. He's at the mercy of anybody who will come by and help him. So he's laying there, he can barely move, he can barely breathe, he's in so much pain, and he sees this priest pass by him, who is also a Jew. He sees a fellow Jew pass by him, and, he's, and, he, and he feels this sense of hopelessness again. If he won't help me, then who will? But he looks down the road, and there's coming another one. There's another person coming by. And as the figure gets closer, Look at verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, a Levite was kind of like the associate pastor. He was the assistant to, he was the, assistant to the priest. He assisted the priest in all, of his, uh, in all of his religious duties. He helped make sacrifices. 
he's also a Jew. So as the man half dead is laying on the side of the road, he sees the Levite coming and he thinks, surely this guy is going to help me out. And as he gets closer to the man, maybe he's also thinking, if I touch this guy and if I help him, I will be unclean and I won't even be able to help other people. So he uses his religion perhaps as an excuse and he avoids the man. He walks around him. So now we've got a priest, and we also have a Levite who are fellow Jews with this guy, and they've avoided helping a man in need. They've avoided helping somebody. And so this man, he's just lying on the ground, and as the priest passes by, he's left, in without, he's left without hope. But he sees the Levite coming, and he passes by him as well. He avoids him, and he's thinking, I'm just going to die out here. I'm so beat up, I can't, can't breathe, I can barely move. The inevitable is coming, I'm going to die. There's no chance, there's no hope. But then he sees another figure off in the distance. He sees someone else approaching him. And he has this sense of hope again. But it's probably not much hope. He's had two people just avoid him, and two people pass him by. But as he sees this person coming closer, the identity, the identity of this person is revealed. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, oh boy. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went on, he, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay back. I will repay you when I come back. So as the identity of this person is revealed, as he gets closer, it's a Samaritan. Oh boy. Samaritans and Jews don't get along with each other. They're not fond of one another. So even the little bit of hope that this guy has, as soon as he sees and it's revealed to him that it's a Samaritan, any shred of hope that he has completely goes away. Completely goes away. Because Jews and Samaritans, they don't get along with each other. They're not fond of one another. They don't care for one another. Now, the kingdom of Israel... During or after the death of King Solomon, the king of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The tribes that consisted of the northern kingdom, they, they, they identified themselves as the nation of Israel or the nation of, uh, the nation of Samaria. That was also the term that they, were, that, that they designated for themselves. In 722 BC, the, the Assyrian Empire comes in and, and overthrows Israel. They overthrow Samaria. They they, they take the Samaritans, they take the Israelites into captivity. So now, the, the nation of Israel serves the Assyrian Empire. Eventually, their citizens were spread out all across the Assyrian Empire. Eventually, non-Jews came into the land. And what ended up happening was Israelites were marrying, they were intermarrying with people of other nationalities. They were intermarrying with people of other faith. They were marrying people who worshipped pagan gods. So in the eyes of a, of, of a Jew, the Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were considered impure. And in 586, 
BC, they, they were released. They were sent out of Assyria back to Jerusalem. And, uh, and on their way back, the, the Jews and the Samaritans, they're going to rebuild the temple that was destroyed. Some, the Samaritans say that they're going to help the Jews. The Jews reject their help. So the Samaritans decide, we're going to build our own temple. So they build their own temple. They begin to worship their own God. And then in 28 BC, the Jews overthrow the, the Samaritans' temple. So now their temple is destroyed as well. Jews and Samaritans don't get along really well. They don't like one another. So as the identity of this guy approaches, as he sees him, he knows the history between these two people, between his two, his two people groups, and he's left without hope again. This guy's just gonna pass me by. But as the Samaritan approaches this guy, he too sees him just like the priest and the Levite, but instead of avoiding this guy, he approaches him. His heart's full of compassion. He doesn't avoid the man, he approaches the man. He begins to assess his wounds, he begins to, he begins to, uh, to heal him, he begins to work on his wounds, he, pull, he pulls out oil and pours it on the man's wounds because he knows that the oil is going to help heal those wounds. He takes out some wine from his bag and he pours wine on the wounds and he knows that those are going to help, uh, those are going to help alleviate the pain. So he begins to take care of this guy. He doesn't avoid him, he approaches him. He approaches him, he begins to help him, he takes care of his wounds. He's too weak to walk on his own, so he picks him up, puts him on his own animal and takes him to a nearby inn. He's continuing to provide and he's continuing to take care of this guy who was in need. Someone who is not like him. Someone who is different from him. This guy finally gets some rest. He goes to sleep in his room. The next day, the Samaritan gets up. He goes to the front desk where the, the innkeeper is. He hands him two denarii. One denarius was the equivalent of one day's worth of work and labor during this time. So he gives him two of those. The price of lodging during this time wasn't very expensive. So a lot of people, what ends up happening is he gives the innkeeper enough money to take care of two months' worth of rent, two months' worth of lodging. He's continuing to provide, he's continuing to take care of this man who's not like him, but who was in need. He's continuing to provide and to take care of this guy. This Samaritan, if the priest was the pastor and the Levite was the associate pastor, the Samaritan is the Muslim imam. He's considered the enemy of the Jewish people. He's not like them. He is different from them. This is someone who we don't expect to help this guy out. He's not a Jew. This is someone we don't really expect to help this guy out. And so the lawyer is also caught off guard. Look at verse 33. Or I'm sorry, verse 36. Jesus responds to the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus finishes the story, looks, looks at the lawyer, and the lawyer is very upset. The lawyer can't believe the story Jesus has just told him. He does not like Samaritans. And so Jesus asks him, which do, you th which do you think, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to this guy? This guy clears his throat. 
looks Jesus in the eye, probably hesitates a little bit, says, the one who showed him mercy. Did you catch that? This guy's heart is so full of hatred and indifference towards the Samaritans that he can't even acknowledge and admit and much less say the Samaritan helped him. All he can say is that one. This guy who's totally different than him, that he doesn't like, all he can say is that's the guy that helped him out. And so Jesus says, you go and you do likewise. This is a crazy story. This is insane to this lawyer. We're left confused. We're left wondering what is going on. What Jesus has done here, Jesus has taken the original question of the lawyer of who is my neighbor, and Jesus has turned it on its head and showed him that the true question here is not who is my neighbor, but how do I be a neighbor? That's the point Jesus is trying to communicate. That's the point that Jesus is trying to get across to this guy. It's not how do, who is my neighbor, it's how do I be a neighbor? That's what he's trying to get him to understand. He's trying to emphasize to him that the Samaritan is the one who has showed him mercy. So his point here is, yes, correct. The Samaritan's the one that showed him mercy. You go and do likewise. In other words, you go and show mercy to people who are different than you. You go show mercy to people who are difficult to you. Now, when we think about this story, it's really, it's really easy to, to think about how Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who has showed us incredible mercy. Jesus is the one who came to us. Jesus is the one who approached us in our brokenness, in our deadness spiritually. Jesus is the one who approached us. Jesus didn't avoid us. Instead, Jesus came to us. He came to this earth. He died on the cross for our sins to provide a way for you and I to have a relationship with God, to restore us back into fellowship with God. Jesus approached us. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan here. Jesus is the one who has, who has showed us incredible mercy. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to communicate to this guy. The point of this parable, the point of the story is actually found in verse 37 when Jesus looks at him and says, you go and you do likewise. So the point Jesus is making and the point God is making to us is extend mercy to others because God has extended mercy to us. Why do we extend mercy to others? It's because God has demonstrated, God has extended mercy to us as well. Just listen to how the Bible talks about the mercy of God. Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive with Christ. Titus chapter three, verse five. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. First Peter chapter one, verse three. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. And then first Peter chapter two, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why do we extend mercy to others? Because God in his love and in his mercy has extended mercy to us. That's God's point for us. We extend mercy to other people because God has first demonstrated incredible amounts of mercy to us. 
That's how God wants you and I to live with people who are different than us, who are difficult to us, not just to the people that think like us and act like us. God wants us to live lives of mercy, extending mercy to all people because of the great mercy that he has shown to us in his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's point to us. Extend mercy to others because God has extended mercy to us. But how do we do that? How do we go about living lives filled with mercy and extending mercy to others? Well, first, we ask God to give us a merciful heart. When I was preparing for this, I realized that sometimes, many times, I'm not very merciful towards other people. I'm impatient with my wife. People who are, are, are difficult, um, it's, it's hard for me to, to interact with sometimes. Sometimes I'm even indifferent towards the homeless person on the side of the road who's just asking for a couple of bucks perhaps to get something to eat. My heart is not always full of mercy towards other people. And so if that's you this morning, what do we do? We can't make our hearts merciful towards others. We have to ask God to make our hearts merciful towards others. We've gotta ask God for his spirit to be at work in our hearts, to take us where we are and to take us where we need to be. Ask God to give us a merciful heart towards others because of the mercy he's extended to us. We ask God for a merciful heart, but also we, we make no excuses when we're extending mercy. We don't make excuses when we're extending mercy. The, the priest, the priest, justified himself, he came up with excuses of why he should not be able to help the, the Samaritan, or the, the, the Jew, the man. He came up with these excuses of why he was not supposed to help him because he had to help other people. And so we don't need to make excuses when we are extending mercy to other people. Well, pastor, you don't know what so-and-so has said about me. You don't know what people have done to me before. You don't, you don't know the full story of my life. You don't know what others have done to me. People are not deserving of my mercy. No, I understand what it's like to, to, um, to um, not make, I know what it's like to make excuses. I know what it's like to, to work with difficult people. I know what it's like to be betrayed by God's people. I know what it's like. I'm not saying that this is easy, Extending mercy to others that don't deserve our mercy, I'm not saying that that's easy, but isn't that the very definition of mercy? We were completely undeserving of the mercy of God, and yet he extended mercy to us. I'm not saying this is easy. It's easy. In fact, it's quite difficult. But don't let our excuses get in the way of our obedience to the Lord in the moment of extending mercy to others. Even if our reasons are justified, don't let your reasons get in the way of obedience to God. Obedience to God is far greater, even though it's difficult, than disobeying God and what he's leading you to do and extend mercy to others as well. So we ask God for a merciful heart. We don't make excuses. Third, let's ask ourselves this question. Who do I need to extend mercy to today? Every single one of us in here, we come, to, we come into this room, we come into this building. Every single one of us in here, we, we have people in our lives that we are called to extend mercy to. Maybe it's the relative who betrayed you. Maybe it's the friend who hurt you. Maybe it's the spouse who lied to you. Maybe it's the person who, who's gossiped and spread lies about you. Maybe it's the person with different political beliefs or, or someone who believes differently than you about COVID, mask, no mask, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine. You have differences and, and disagreements with people. 
But we all have people in our lives that we are supposed to extend mercy to because of the mercy that God has extended to us. Maybe it's the person who, who has lied to you. Maybe it's the, the spouse who, who has, who has uh, said things about you. Maybe it's the friend who has gossiped about you. Regardless of, the, of who, whoever it may be, extend mercy to them because God has extended mercy to us as well. And then finally, the last thing that we should do is respond to God's mercy in the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and you identify with the man on the side of the road. Maybe you're here this morning and you identify with him because you're broken and you're beat down in life. You find yourself at a difficult moment in life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says because of the relationship, because of the faith that you have in God, he, he commands you to boldly approach him to the throne of grace that you might find grace and mercy to help in time of need. God, we thank you this morning for this story, this familiar story, but Father, we thank you so much for the incredible mercy that you've extended to us. So Father, as we've heard your word this morning, God, would you help us to respond? Father, whether it's someone in our life that is undeserving of our mercy, but God, you're calling us to extend mercy to. Father, maybe it's the person here this morning that needs to respond in faith to your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us be people of mercy and extend mercy to others because of the incredible mercy that you've extended to us as well. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's ibcbenton.com.